The Bible, when it is rightly seen and rightly understood, is a book set apart. God breathed and divinely inspired, it is the very word of God himself. The means and the manner by which he chooses to reveal himself to us. There is nothing else quite like the Bible in form or in substance. And so, when we consider that particular nature of the Bible, we come to recognize something distinct, something substantial about it. This is namely that it holds a unique place within the church and within the life of the believer. It is, in the words of the Reformers, the norma normans non normata, or the normative norm which is not normed. Viewed as a concept which is entrenched in the idea of sola scriptura, this idea of norma normans non normata teaches us something important, something valuable about the nature of God's word and what it means. So then, what is the principle of norma, normans, non normata? What does it mean to be the normative norm which is not normed? What does it tell us about scriptural authority? What impact does it have on the life of the church? What impact does it have on the life of the believer? Is it a relevant concept? for us today. That's what we'll be exploring as we continue our journey into theological concepts and terms that Christians should know. I'm Wyatt McIntyre, and this is Our Timeless Faith. The phrase norma normans non normata, it's not a particularly common expression in the vocabulary of Christians today. It's certainly not as common as, let's say, sola scriptura or sola dio gloria or even quorum dio. Yet it is a valuable one for us to not only know, but to have a fundamental understanding of. When we look at it, it's translated several different ways. Some say it's the unnormed norm that is not normed, or others will call it the norm of norms which cannot be normed, or some variation of it. My own personal preference is to translate it as the normative norm which is not normed. Yet, however we may choose to translate this expression, it carries with it a distinct meaning, a distinct understanding that runs through it and underscores it. This is namely that the scriptures, the scriptures as the revealed word of God, are inerrant and infallible. They carry with them, as such, the final authority, standardizing and regulating the life of the believer and the church 
It's the norma absoluta, the absolute norm. Thus, when we refer to the norma normans non normata, what we are, in essence, proclaiming is full scriptural authority. This is why it goes hand in hand with the concept of sola scriptura, serving as a further exposition of what that phrase means. What we're saying here is that the scriptures, as the word of God, are the living proclamation of God. And they are used by his spirit to create, grow, and mature faith, nurturing it in the life of the church and the individual, guiding the thoughts and the minds, the actions and the deeds of the believer. Now, to understand what this all means and the implications that it has on us, we have to understand a little bit something about the complexity of the history of the scriptures themselves. This complexity is perhaps best expressed by the 17th century German theologian Johann Koenig. It's Koenig who writes that, as it is simply the divine word, in which respect we can say that scripture is proper to the church, or as it is recorded in writing, in which respect scripture is subsequent to the church. What Koenig is ultimately saying here is that the scriptures, as the word of God, they both precede the formation of the church and follow the formation of the church. They exist before the church was ever formed, but they also are recognized as a product of the church. So, what does that mean, though? Because, well, it's a little bit confusing. To understand that, we need to go back to the canonization of Scripture. And we need to look at why this was such a significant event in the history of the church. The official canon was formalized in the 4th century at the Council of Rome in 382, and later reaffirmed at the Councils of Hippo in 393 and Carthage in 397. The tradition of this canon, though, it goes back considerably further than this. In Justin Martyr's first apology, for example, which was written in the second century and that contains within its pages some of the earliest accounts of Christian practices, the memoirs of the apostles, which we would come to know as the Gospels, are mentioned as carrying the same weight as the Old Testament canon would, as the Old Testament canon did. Tertullian, in his work Against Practice, makes reference to the scriptures, stating, Let us be content with saying that Christ died, the Son of the Father, 
And let this suffice, because the scriptures have told us as much. Now, as we consider the process of canonization, what we recognize is that it was an event of incredible importance for the church. You see, the apostles, the apostles had long since passed. Yet, if the church was to keep the apostolic tradition alive, if it was to carry forth the same message that God had given to these men, if it was to ensure the teachings of Christ were handed down, if it was to be guided by the same apostolic message that was grounded in the fundamental commands of Christ, then it had to ensure that these texts, they were preserved. Here, though, we have to recognize a key fundamental point. This is namely that the scriptures... The scriptures are a gift from God through the power of his Holy Spirit. What does this mean? Well, two things. First, they're divinely inspired. The Spirit moved the writers of the scriptures, illuminating their minds that what they wrote though conveying their own personalities and experiences, remained the word of God. Remained those things that God wanted us to know. Those things that we needed to know about God himself. Secondly, the church is born of the Spirit. The church is born of the Spirit following the ascension at Pentecost. It is the Spirit that then creates the identity of the church, guiding, strengthening, and preserving it. Thus, as this is the case, the canonization of the scriptures themselves, it's not just simply the work of men. It's not just simply the work of the church. Rather, it is the work of the Holy Spirit. In this sense, what we recognize is that whether through divine inspiration or the process of canonization, the church does not create the scriptures as they are known. Rather, the church is the recipient of them by and through the power of the Spirit. What's more is that the scriptures being the word of God, they don't just come into being when they're written on a page, but rather they carry with them the timeless, transcendent truth of God himself. In this sense, they precede even being written on the page. They precede the form 
that they are to take in divine inspiration, in that enlightenment which is granted by God. And so they may be ridden by these various different men, and they may be collected into the canon in the 4th century. But ultimately, when it comes right down to it, they precede all of that. What this means is that the scriptures, they do not derive their authority from the church, nor do they derive their authority from tradition. Rather, the scriptures, they derive their authority from God through the Holy Spirit. We simply receive the scriptures as it is given to us from the divine. In this sense, the normative function, the normative nature of the scriptures are then rooted in the divine providence of God. Now, as we recognize this, as we recognize that the scriptures are not merely a man-made document, we are reminded of the words of Paul, who writes in 1 Thessalonians 2 that the scriptures are received. They are accepted, not as human words, but rather the word of God himself. They are divinely inspired, and the canon of scripture are received by the church by the power of that same spirit. Understanding this, we further recognize that then there are implications to that. What I mean is that what we come to realize, what we come to recognize is that the sacred scriptures carry with them the full weight, the full authority of God. And what's more is that there is nothing else that is like that. There is nothing else that measures up to it. It stands alone. No church tradition, no book, no council, no creed, no confession can make the same claim of authority. They can't make the same claim of being God-breathed or of being divinely inspired. They can't make the same claim that they are received by the power of God through his spirit in a manner that gives them the same power, confidence, or authority that scriptures have. Augustine of Hippo would put it this way, In the innumerable books that have been written laterally, we may sometimes find the same truth as in scripture. But, but, there is not the same authority. Scripture 
has a sacredness peculiar to it. Though we may then rely on secondary or supplementary material, for example, the early church fathers or confessions or creeds, we also recognize that we cannot give to them the same weight, cannot give to them the same authority that scriptures have. First, because we're not capable of it. And secondly, even, even if we were, it is not our place. We must recognize that these scriptures, then, they are the supreme authority when it comes to all spiritual and ecclesiastical matters. As the author of Hebrews would put it, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Scriptures, the Bible, they have a certain power to them. They have a certain ability within them that no other authority has or can possibly have. And as such, all matters of doctrine and of tradition, of dogma and of Christian living, they must be brought in line with the scriptures as the normative norm because it stands alone as the word of God. And as it stands alone as that word of God, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, which can norm it. In the words of the solid declaration of the formula of Concord, God's word alone should be and remain the only standard and rule of doctrine to which the writings of no man should be regarded as equal. Everything, everything should be subjected to God's word. In this sense, what norma normans non normata dictates is then that the scriptures, the scriptures become the normative object of one's faith and the normative object in the life of the church, carrying with it the full authority of God's voice, the full authority of God's presence, strengthening, edifying, and nourishing the believer and the church. Where the scriptures speak, we listen. Where they talk, all must conform to them. Whether it is the believer, the church, tradition, confession, or creed. Now, this isn't to say that we shouldn't listen to traditions or creeds or confessions or other books aside from the Bible. 
These, so they're secondary. They are secondary referred to as the norma normata, the normed norm or the ruled rule, which we'll discuss in greater length the next time we're together. Suffice to say, they represent an important part of our understanding and are frequently used to interpret and better understand the scriptures. But they are ultimately subservient to them. We make this distinction because, in the end, traditions and councils can ultimately contradict themselves. They can be manipulated by people or over time. Yet, scriptures, the scriptures are unchanging and unchangeable. They never contradict themselves. They are not subject to human whim or human understanding. When they are rightly handled, they cannot be manipulated by church or tradition. Realizing that all Christian doctrine, that all Christian life must be immersed in the apostolic faith, which is testified of in the Bible. In this sense, the scriptures regulate and norm all that come after them, standing apart from them, outside of them. In a sense, in a sense, they mirror something of God himself who controls all which are created by him and as such come after him. God stands outside and apart from that creation. Scriptures then, in and of themselves, have their own self-contained internal rule which all that comes after them is regulated by and is ultimately intended to conform to. What we then recognize is a simple reality. This is namely that the concept of norma normans non normata reaffirms the sola scriptura principle particularly that principle of sufficiency and inerrancy of Scripture. You see, for the Scriptures to be the standardizing norm, which cannot be normed by anything else, by any other, it must be wholly complete, containing within them all that is necessary for doctrine, for theology, and for the life of the Church and the believer. If they somehow, some way, were not complete, then they would need to be normed by another outside source, meaning that Scripture could not and would not stand alone. Yet they do, and in that, we can trust their authority. This, in turn, allows us to magnify and worship the Lord our God as he intends for us to do. 
They provide for us not only the opportunity to learn from Christ, our blessed Savior, but the chance to live by and within his teachings, observing all which he has commanded of us. In recognizing the normative power of the scriptures, we are then transformed by them, conforming ourselves to their regulatory standard, seeking to bring ourselves in line with what they are and what they teach us. This, in turn, helps us to grow within our faith, striving to purify ourselves just as Christ himself is pure. The sacred scriptures the sacred scriptures are more than simply a book or a series of books which offer to us some good teachings or some wise words but that we ultimately we we ultimately need to be weary of because they represent a different time and a different way of thinking they represent something ancient and archaic, particularly compared to our modern enlightened understanding. They are, as the Apostle tells us, what is necessary for righteousness, for correction, for reproof, that the believer may be equipped for every good work that God has in front of them. In this way, we must then yield ourselves to the normative power of scriptures rather than trying to force them to submit to our will and our design. We must submit ourselves to the normative power of scriptures rather than trying to be the supreme normative power over them. Our role isn't to disregard the scriptures where we may find it convenient or where we may find its teachings inconvenient. It's not our place to rip the scriptures out of context because we find it easier to live by selected passages when they stand alone, apart from the larger meaning that they are intended to hold. It's not up to us to try and twist and turn and warp the scriptures until they are finally something we can, according to our own flesh, actually live by. Rather, it means that we accept the full power, the full authority of the scriptures in our lives seeing them as transcending contemporary wisdom and knowledge as they teach to us all that is fundamentally and objectively necessary for our lives and our righteousness. Teaching the church all that is fundamentally and objectively necessary for its future. 
everything is intended to be brought in line with the scriptures. And in being brought in line with the scriptures, they are intended to submit to the scriptures' ultimate authority. Because in doing so, they are submitting to the ultimate authority of God. As such, there is incredible importance in rightly discerning what the scriptures mean, what they're trying to show us, what they're trying to teach us, how they're trying to grow us. There is incredible power in the normative power which the scripture has in our life and in the life of the church. And we need to recognize that. But then that's all I really came on here to say. I want to thank you for taking the time to join with me. And remind you that you can find me online at ourtimelessfaith.com. There you'll find articles that I try to publish every week, although for the past few weeks I have been a little bit remiss and a little bit absent. Starting next week, I hope to be back on that, though. You can also support Our Timeless Faith on Patreon. You'll find the link at the bottom of the webpage. So please think about doing that and making this possible, helping to expand what we are doing here. You can also find me on Twitter. My handle is Wyatt McIntyre. You can find Our Timeless Faith on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Our Timeless Faith. On YouTube with my handle Wyatt McIntyre. And on Instagram with the handle Our Timeless Faith. So several different ways for you to connect with the show. And I hope that you do. But until we have the chance to meet again, may the peace of the Lord, may that transcending, encompassing peace, that peace that transcends all human knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, even unto life everlasting. Amen.